0: take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's tour catch-up. Rafa Nadal makes it
1: three straight titles.
0: Svantec soars in Doha.
1: And Daniel Medvedev becomes the new world number one.
0: Kim, today is the 28th of February and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Passing Shot HQ, especially backed by our crowd funders, Marco Hurtado and Adam Stevens. We have had another enthralling week on the ATP and WTA tours. It has been, it has been wild. I mean, just talking about Acapulco alone, I think we could write a whole book on what happened in Acapulco 2022. We had uh, a default we had late finishes. We had Cam Norrie continuing his uh, his success, and of course, we had Rafa continue his unbeaten season. And I have no doubt with you as a Rafa fan, as always you you must be in in high spirits after the week the week that was in Mexico.
1: It was a great week, barring Zverev's (laughs) naughtiness, which was terrible. But yeah, Rafa more than made up for that. And I enjoyed waking up every morning, finding out that he'd won in straight sets. And I've just actually found a old framed picture I had of Rafa, uh, which I had (laughs) stored away when I was redecorating. And I've just got it up and put it on the wall today. Um, It's a nice photo of him from the 20, well, 2005 Roland Garros. So it's him as a baby, basically. And it's just amazing that however many years later, 17 years on, he's had the most perfect start to the season. It's crazy.
0: I know. I think even by Rafa's exploits, it's taken a lot of people, including myself, by surprise. I will say, Kim, what I love about the tennis season at the moment is I think there are these magical weeks as fans where genuinely... It feels like there is tennis on like every single hour of the day. And, and as you said, it was like I was waking up and, and checking the results overnight uh, from Mexico. I mean, to be honest, they may as well have still been going on, given how late they uh, they were finishing. But also, you know, Doha and Dubai was going on through our daytime as well. So it was so great, I think, as a fan. It was just it just felt like I could live live and breathe tennis literally every single minute uh of the day this week given the uh the number of tournaments that were that was on show
1: yeah and obviously there's an argument that you should uh locate the tournaments in the same sort of area of the planet uh to make it kind of i don't know more environmentally friendly or whatever at any given time rather than having them all all over the place but it does mean that when they are all over the place
0: the more time zones the better
1: exactly uh for fans it does mean you could literally watch it round the clock if you didn't have anything else to do um which is you know unlikely there's nothing else going on and you'd just be able to 24 7 watch tennis but we do our best to absorb as much of it as we can um each week um to discuss as we do so i mean let's start with the wta uh, side of things this week. Uh, we had Doha, the, the thousand event uh, out in Qatar, which we saw uh, Iga Svantec win uh, in very convincing fashion. Uh, she absolutely dominated the final against Annette Kontubate. Um And actually, Svantec has a real habit of blitzing people in finals. I think once, once she's got to the final, it's very difficult to beat her. You know, she has a habit of of winning with a very few games lost. And this was no different. Six 6-2, six 6-love over Annette Contivate.
0: I was actually disappointed with how many games uh, she gave up, <laughs> considering her, I think her previous WTA 1000 final was in Rome. And everyone will remember that was the final. She beat Karolina Pliskova, double bagel, love and love. So, yeah, I was disappointed that, no, no. Um, yeah, no, that was a very impressive victory because Contivate has been on some... Uh, you know she's been on a cracking run of form recently I think she was on a nine match winning streak going into the final and I was expecting it to be a very uh competitive competitive match maybe going three sets maybe even ending in a, in a final set tie break so I was very surprised to see such a, a one-sided scoreline but you know at the same time the the level of, of tennis that Schulteck has shown this week has been very very impressive and I think in particular against those, those power players that I think in the past that she has had a little bit of problem, you know, a little bit of issues with. Um, you know, I always think particularly with her serve and the way I think that she has had to, you know, improve it by necessity, given I think it was a a weak. Part of her game uh, for those power players to just climb on top of and you know start start you know her her service games on on the front foot. Well, actually, I think that shot has has very much improved, and I think that showed this week. And when she was coming up against those power players like Contivate, um Sabalenka as well, um, she was just you know she was just demolishing them, straight sets, very very impressive against Sakari as well in the semi final. I think that was a little bit of a different story. I think. I mean, I mean we all know Zachary and her mental mental demons are still uh, you know a chink in, in her armour. I think she she led um or she certainly had opportunities, I think, to make it more interesting. But you know, having said that, Shiontek I think just showed that she can deal with those power players this week and also she's got that mental resilience, I think, that even if she is a, a breakdown like in you know in her match in against zachary um, you know, given whatever situation she found herself in, you know, she was she came roaring back.
1: Yeah, really good court control and, and kind of playing very aggressive and obviously helped, yeah, by that improvement in her serve. And, um, you know, when she's got that confidence as well and she's sort of really on it, she, you know, she's very tough to, to be. And I mean, like I was saying, her four finals that she's, um, you know, she's won four titles now. Interestingly, um, she's won two on clay, two on hard. So definitely not maybe a, a clay quarter that some people might have uh, claimed that she was going to be, you know, after winning Roland Garros, you know, as as her first ever title. Um, she's obviously proving
0: that on a hard court, she's
1: just as effective. She's only dropped 11 games in her four finals in total. So um... she's a big game
0: player, isn't she? She <laughs> definitely really she really kind of brings it when she, you know, gets to the final. I think, you know, there are some, I think questions when she, you know, maybe is on uh, route um, and that's where we sometimes see her run into trouble and maybe there is an upset on the cards. But certainly when she gets to the business end of a tournament, she, you know, is ready to go. And I know we always talk about, you know, Tech and her, uh, you know, her mental toughness and the fact that she's got a sports psychologist, really kind of helping her and I think particularly that that big game mentality she she has got that nailed down hasn't she because yeah her her dominance in the in the finals has been very very impressive and in big finals as well you know Grand Slam finals WTA 1000 finals she just goes in with such a you know a positive and affirmative attitude that really really kind of translates onto the tennis court and i think it's it's caught a lot of players cold and it caught i think cultivate uh cold in in this final and i think she was even just a little bit frustrated you know it wasn't because i think genuinely it could have been it could have been six love six love again um you know it was that it was that much of a, a commanding performance but um yeah she certainly is a player who likes the uh is ready for the big occasion. And I think that's why we think of her as a player who is a multiple Grand Slam champion, because when it does get to those kind of pressure situations in those big moments, she you, you look at her and you think, yeah, she's a player unlike a Maria Sachary who she's ready to handle the occasion.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think Contivate. She she said after the match that she didn't sort of perform as well mentally today, like on on the day. Um, you know, with her emotions, and she was really struggling on on serve. Obviously, <laughs> she only won two games, so she was getting broken pretty much a lot of the time. Um. But all credit to Tech definitely the better player on the day. And Contivate obviously still having a great tournament. You know, she beat Ostapenko in the semi, who, you know, has been in very good form of late and, um, you know, hasn't quite managed to continue her win streak. But getting to the final, proving that she's right up there and her kind of good form of, of the last six months or so is, is you know, definitely continuing as well. Um, so I think, you know, she'll still be looking at it from a fairly oh, positive yeah.
0: angle. I mean, we both, I mean, Konturve, um Ostapenko in that bottom half semi-final that was probably you know two of the most informed players on the tour at the moment so for me that was a really fascinating one I did kind of laugh Kim because Contevate en route uh to the final she had uh, a match against Elise Mertens um in the third round she got bageled in <laughs> midway through she won it 6-3 love 6-6 which I thought was sort of a uh, an odd scoreline because we don't really associate Contevate kind of go walk about um you know mid matches like maybe we do with with some other players but um yeah it was a very good it was a very another very very good showing from Kontave and again she will be just sort of <laughs> rising up the rankings i think i've even seen talk of her potentially you know given how little i think she has to defend coming up i think there's a chance she could be um you know getting up there well maybe even dare i say the next uh, the next world number 1 given the way she's playing how far she's reaching in tournaments and the the lack of points she has to defend. It's not a you know it's not a, a completely far off um suggestion. So certainly she is still playing some some very very good tennis, but you know at the same time Iga Fiontek just just very very better on the day in that final.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and also in the doubles we had Coco Goff and Jesse Pagula winning, uh, which was nice. I think that's the first title that they've. One together quite a new pairing golf usually Mm. plays with um Katie McNally McNally. but I I Mm. guess McNally wasn't high enough ranked to get into the thousand or she's just wasn't playing um but yeah nice for for them winning the doubles um but we also had a WTA event in Guadalajara this uh past week so 250 event um out on the hard courts in Mexico Uh, and Sloane Stevens uh won this event which is nice to see because you know we we feel like this is uh hopefully the start of a of a little resurgence. It's her first title in almost five years. She's been out in the wilderness for a long time, uh, but she managed to beat Marie Buskova in the final in three sets. Um, six two in the third set it was. So um yeah, I don't know if this means that Sloane Stevens is suddenly gonna do stuff this season, but I I hope that it does. <laughs> I hope it's a good omen.
0: Certainly. It was uh it was another great you know, reminded me, I think, of the, you know, the form of, of Yelena Ostapenko and how, you know, she's another single slam champion having that resurgence and, you know, seeing this title win. Uh, I was actually startled by how long it's been since uh, Sloane Stephens had won her last WTA Tour title, almost five years. I mean, that just doesn't feel right. You know, we've seen, we've seen, we know Sloane Stephens talent we saw that you know when she won the you know the US Open and you know with that talent you just think she shouldn't be going without five years she shouldn't be going five years without a title and it makes me think you know with her you know I think confidence has been you know a big thing um you know I think there have been things going on in her you know in her life as well that I think have sort of you know understandably um you know kind of put her focus elsewhere off the tennis but I think she must be in a you know in a really good place now you know she's happily she you know got married recently Um, and I think you know her I think she's in a very very good place and although I think it's taken a bit more obviously time to to, to get there and, and find her game you know as I said when she is able to put it together it's been you know very very impressive and she's had some very you know, gutsy wins this week. Um, you know, she had that win against Daria Saville, who beat Emma Radicani in the first round, which we'll get onto in the quarters from a, a set down. And then in the in the final as well, I mean, you know, yes, she took that first set 7-5, um, but, you know, saw that I think the, the frailties, I think that we normally associate, uh, sadly, at the moment, I think with Stone Stevens losing that middle set 6-1. But to come roaring back, you know, in that final set 6-2, it just showed, I think, you know how much she she wanted it, and as I said, I think it will give her so much confidence. Um, you know, going forward, and I think that's the thing that sort of is the missing ingredient. I think at the moment with Shane Stevens. I think we know that she's a really, really talented player on the on the tennis court. I think confidence is the big thing for her that is is normally missing, and to put a string of, of victories together in a, you know, in a in a two fifty event, I think you know she will say it's been a very smart move to kind of. Be out away from the, you know, the light of, of, you know, the WTA 1000 in Doha, get some, uh, successive victories together, win a title. Um, yeah, really, really happy for her.
1: Yeah, and um, just just looking at the the at the draw, actually, you know, obviously seeing Slee- Stevens' path through, seeing Buskova get to the final. She's not won a title yet, despite being in three finals. So I think maybe she might want to get on the phone to Schiavonec and uh, have a <laughs> chat with her. What's what's your tips, eager Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see Sara Sarivo's Tormo win two matches without going to a third set tie break uh that was uh you know a nice change up and uh, I can see now that Katie McNally was was in action in Guadalajara instead of Doha um so leaving Coco Goff to uh, to win the doubles without her but i mean obviously at the start of the week we were all uh looking forward to the Emma Raducanu uh you know Daria Saville first round and this was quite an interesting match because um, Emma won the first set, 7-5, uh, and then Saville came back and won the second on a tie break. And then Radegani retired at 4-3 down in the third set. Um, I think it was, at that point, the longest match so far on the WTA Tour. And um, Emma said it well. It was her hip that um, meant she was unable to to carry on. Um, and then, despite winning, Daria Saville, well, there was people sort of saying she didn't deal with with it all in in the best of of uh, ways uh describing her her win as, as graceless um so quite a lot of uh, talking points to start the week off in mexico
0: obviously very disappointing for for Raducanu, and i think we're seeing a repeat seeing repeat formula i think for uh you know for her tournaments in terms of it, it just feels like yes yeah, she she's very very talented but her body just in in one way or another is you know letting her down uh when she you know gets onto gets onto a tennis court you know hip injury here we obviously remember that the blisters um that were affecting her at the Australian Open um we all saw those obviously those breathing issues as well that she had uh, at Wimbledon so she, I feel like she's already racking up like a esque uh level of um ailments and and injuries that she's having in her young career which we just obviously don't like to see i think she's actually already dropped out of uh, Monterey next week, which is is disappointing. But you know, this was a very this was a very brutal and physical match. I mean, longest match of the year, Kim. Three hours and thirty six minutes, and it didn't even have a conclusion. Like this could have very easily gone over. Uh, you know, this could have very easily gone over four hours uh, for a best of three set match on the, on the WTA tour, which does not happen often. I don't even know if has that even happened before, but. Um, you know this was very testing conditions as well you know Guadalajara it's going to be in the you know the altitude um i think very slow court as well as you could probably tell by the, the the length of of time on on the tennis court and it was just a it was just such a battle and i think it was great to see Radicava again sort of fight her way as much as she could um but at the same time yeah it was just disappointing i think that she couldn't you know not necessarily win the match but as i said just sort of finish it because you know we do we are sort of having these questions about her about her body and about her fitness and i don't know if there is a, a question there in terms of going away and getting her you know body i think um you know primed for for working on the wta tour because at the moment it does is there an argument kim to say that it just doesn't feel like her body is ready to suffer through the you know the rigor that that goes on I think you know day in day out on the on the WTA tour at the moment
1: yeah it can take some people you know, like longer I guess to to adjust to that sort of week in week out grind um I've just you know thinking hip injury I think oh let's hope we don't have another kind of Andy Murray situation on our hands um you know British players and their hips I don't know no Edmund I, as well yeah, well, isn't I think Carl? it's the knee, but, you know, he's been plagued by terrible injuries in the last few years. I, I don't know what the latest is on that when when he's going to be coming back. But um, I hope that this is kind of a short-lived issue and maybe just kind of came out of the fact that this was a blooming long match up to that point. And um, I think that's where Daria Saville, you know, a lot of people were criticising what she said in her on-court interview, you know, the interviewer. Asking her, you know, that, you know, obviously she's won the match by through a retirement. And, you know, normally whoever's won would wish their opponent all the best, you know, going forwards. Um, but she didn't sort of reflect on that at all. So a lot of, um, I guess, fans were not happy with that.
0: Do you have any issue with that? I mean, she said, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of myself. I fought really hard. I believed in myself. And so, yeah, I think I won it. Mm. Um, yeah, she just sort of just focused on her own performance didn't really, um, you know, give a hint towards kind of Radicanu and, you know, wishing her the best. But um, do you have any issue with that? Or do you think, you know, this is, you know, this is the WTA tour. This is a dog-eat-dog world. I'm, you know, I'm fighting for my for living out here. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think Daria Savile will say, you know, uh, my body was conditioned better than Emma Radicanu's, And that's what, Enabled me to to get the victory. So um, do you think it's Do you think that's fair, or do you think maybe she should have approached it a bit differently?
1: I get her point. Like she must view it as if she's you know outlasted her opponent, no. and and yeah, maybe won on the on the physical stakes. But I think it's only sort of common decency to reflect that there was a slight amount of luck that the fact that your opponent retired because it's not like she was four love up in that last set. You know, it was four three. So I think um unless you know it was just heat of the moment and she just wasn't you know, focusing and just like, you know, some some people just aren't always going to say exactly the right thing at that right time, like in the eyes of the media. So, um, you know, I just think it's kind of normal practice to acknowledge the fact that it was a retirement. But, um, I, you know, I I don't think uh, I'm going to lose sleep over the fact that she didn't mention <laughs> <No>. <laughs> mention the retirement uh, but yeah fingers crossed for emma um you know sort of bouncing back from that and uh yeah great for sloane stevens to to get a title again at last um we you know talking about events in mexico i think this brings us on nicely to the atp event in acapulco uh a 500 event i mean let's start with the good news i suppose which is rafa winning uh well, his third title of the season, his 91st title of the career. Um, This is 15-match win streak now in a row since the start of the year. Um, 6-4, 6-4 in the final against Cam Norrie, uh, which for for my intents and purposes, this was sort of the best final that we could have had. Mm. You know, British guy (laughs) versus Rafa. And uh, obviously I was gunning for Rafa, but I was pleased that Norrie, you know, did play well, uh, obviously, throughout the week and in the final. I think he put a very decent performance together and it really was just you know a break in each set for Rafa um, that was the difference.
0: Yeah he definitely made that final more interesting than I think maybe some people would have given you know given him credit for and he had a very very good win against Stefanos Sissipas in the semi-finals in in straight sets so yeah it was a very very good week for Cam. Um but you know <laughs> Rafa is just on another level, isn't he? Um I think I read, you know, he is now the youngest and oldest champion uh of Acapulco, which is just kind of mind blowing. But uh yeah in the final he was just just had a bit too much class I think for, for Cam. And what I, I noticed and I think it's something I've seen I think develop um particularly I think in the the, the later years for, for Nadal in terms of his progression on court is on tour even is um you know he 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 was, he was coming to the net finishing off points with some swimming swinging backhand volleys and I think you know I was, I was quite like quite like to see that in terms of him kind of killing off the point and not just sort of trading lots and lots of blows from the the baseline because I think this was a again quite a slow tennis court uh we saw that I think in the very first round given all the the late matches that we had that let that ultimately led to the, the latest finish, which uh, we've ever seen on, on the ATP tour. So I quite like to see him, you know, come into that. I think that was a good strategy against Cam, who I think definitely made it awkward um, for for Nadal at times, but it just, ultimately, it just wasn't enough. And, you know, Nadal, you know, he won the, he won the whole tournament without dropping a set. He still remains undefeated on the tour. It just shows you, despite, you know, being, what, 35 years old, he's still just playing some really, really great tennis. And, you know, there are going to be people out there. And I don't know, Kim, if you're one of them, but yes, people will say Daniel Medvedev is the new world number one. But, you know, Rafa Nadal, he beat him in the semifinals. So how much does, how although that is an amazing achievement for Medvedev, which we will get onto, how much does that mean given he lost to Nadal and Nadal is still on this crazy streak having won you know the Australian Open and now Mexico on you know on a hard court we're not even reached the clay court season yet it's just it's just it's almost kind of for me kind of stolen his thunder a little bit.
1: Yeah definitely I mean Rafa's number one in the race so he's playing with the the best form of anyone I guess on the on the men's tour. I was surprised that their semi-final that they had wasn't perhaps three sets. I was, you know, really pleased that Rafa came through that in, in straights and definitely playing a lot more aggressive and, and um, just confident. And it was, yeah, just really pleasing to see. And um, I, I thought Medvedev would give him, yeah, a bit more, bit more of a, of a harder time in that semi, but you know, it's still obviously a fantastic achievement for Medvedev to finally have taken, Novak's spot um, at the top of the game because you know it's been been a while since someone got to that point I think um, 2004 was the last time that we didn't have Roger Rafa Novak or Andy Murray being world number one which I assume was Marat Safin so it's been um, 18 years and uh, or the equivalent 936 weeks someone's done the maths uh, in a row Uh, so Medvedev yeah it's it's sort of broken into new territory and and t- rightly so, you know, for all his hard work and, and good results over the last, well, year or so, and especially of late, um, despite Rafa, you know, being number one in the race, I think, you know, it's still very much well deserved. Um, and we'll get on to Djokovic later uh, in in the episode, and um, as to why you know <laughs> him losing did help uh, Medvedev finally get to number one. Um, I mean, Cam as well, Cam Norrie. Obviously, um, he was on an eight match win streak before losing this final. This is really good going into Indian Wells because now Norrie is the defending champion. At, and at the start of the season, we were thinking, oh, you know, is he <laughs> is he in, in any good stead to to perhaps try and defend his title? But I think you know he's peaking at the right time and, and building those good performances. And I think um, whether or not he obviously wins the title again, I think that will be going some, but I, I hope he'll be able to go deep in the tournament at least.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I think with, you know, Sinner and Herkaj, um, you know, have big points to defend in Miami. Uh, you know, they both got to the final. There is an outside chance as well. If, if Cam, I think, keeps up this level, he could... I think feasibly he could see himself in the the top ten, top ten ranking, top ten rankings. Um, given the the level he has shown, it has a, has caught me by surprise a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but it's great to see him just kind of going to these tournaments and just sort of ruthlessly, sort of dispatching uh, players and you know going as going as far as he it can. It's just I think it's just testament to you know his incredible work ethic. Um, and you know his i think certainly his um you know his ability i think to grind from the back of the court very aggressive but also very defensive at the same time it's just very hard to break down i think and a lot of players have i think struggled to do that including Stefanos Tsitsipas so you know another very very good week for for Cam Norrie kim it wasn't such a good week for alexander zverev who um I mean wh- where do we start we can either start with you know being part of the match uh, that involved the latest finish I think ever to a tennis match certainly on the ATP tour um but also he got defaulted uh, in his uh, after his his doubles match showing some aggression to the umpire by banging his racket quite quite violent really um on the the chair umpire's uh well the chair unposed um, chair. I mean what do you let let's start with a bad. What, what what do you make of that that default situation? Because this was um you know for me this was obviously not not great. He's owned you know he's owned up to it. Um, you know, he's he said he has a lot of regrets. I think he posted like an Instagram story kind of talking about it. But uh yeah, it was not a good look for him, was it?
1: I think um he couldn't do anything but own up to it. I mean it's it's obvious mm. that it happened yeah. and, and it was him. But yeah, real anger management issues. I I don't know in any way why anyone would ever think that was ever acceptable. Um vibes of of Nowbandian at Queens, you know, when uh, he kicks the uh the chair, the the lines person's, you know, sort of hoarding. Um why would you whack your racket so close to the umpire's feet? I mean, you know, fair enough smash your racket on the court which i totally disagree with at the best of times but obviously that is a common practice but why swipe at at the umpire's chair like that it's just absolutely unacceptable i think the ban is is completely fair um and I, obviously i'm glad that he's he's sort of come out and, and apologised, but it does make you question you know his his attitude i don't think it helps the um the allegations against him in terms of the domestic violence that we you know have obviously kind of plagued his his persona since the news kind of came out about that, you know, I think it it will certainly put him in, in even more unfavorable light. Um, And yeah, I'm glad that he was defaulted from the tournament. I don't see how the tournament could not have done that after, after witnessing that.
0: Yeah. So we, you know, he's been fined uh, $40,000 following, um, you know, being thrown out of the tournament. There's been no ban on him, for future events, I mean, there's again, there's been talk around: is a uh, fine enough? Should he, you know, should he be banned? Uh, you know, following, uh, you know, you know, from actually being able to play, um, you know, in in tournaments, uh, in the future. I mean, do you think? Do you think? Do you think they've hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, a forty thousand dollar ban, or do you think they could or maybe should have gone further?
1: Yeah, it's tricky because $40,000 to to Zverev, you know, is probably nothing and he doesn't get any ATP ranking points from the event. Again, that's probably not something he's going to lose sleep over. I think unless there's an established protocol for this kind of thing and and what it would mean for the future, you know, whether you'd be banned from your next tournament or your next three, maybe that's something that ATP and I I may be wrong. They maybe do have a protocol, but it's just never like enforced or, or really use because obviously this is quite a rare occurrence
0: they just need to refer to all the Nick Kyrgios uh things that have happened over the years yeah I,
1: <laughs> I think I mean I wouldn't want it to, maybe it's one of those things that yeah it's just a bit of a gray area and it's up to someone's discretion but then I think when things rely on one individual's discretion that can bring its own problems as we've seen in like the Formula One you know and a whole lot of debate there um I think obviously for now like he he's able to play his next tournament. If he were to do this again or something of a similar scale, then I would absolutely definitely support a, a more severe ban where, you know, you'd actually, as a player, feel, you know, much more of an impact on your on your mm. career.
0: I I would ban him. I think they could have gone further. I think, you know, I think... How long though, Joel? What,
1: six I think, months? Like, a year? <laughs>
0: maybe not six months. I think, you know, certainly I think next, you know, maybe a month four weeks, six weeks um I think you know I think this is not a good this is not a good look this was like an act i think of you know intimidation and you know it was all it was yeah as you said it was there for everyone to see and I think you know there's been examples of this with this sort of animosity I feel that players have shown umpires you know just generally over you know the last kind of few seasons and and whether you know, the ATP need to make an example of, you know, of someone, I feel like this is the opportunity to do that. Um, so yeah, I think for me, they could have potentially explored banning him. Uh, I know, you know, I know he wouldn't probably wouldn't like to hear that, but, um, I certainly think for me, yeah, I think it maybe could have gone a bit further. I, I just don't think money finds how much do they really stop this? Um, I do think there are kind of mitigating circumstances. You know, he did play a match till 5 a.m. that the night before. So his brain, I think, might have been quite tired. And, you know, he might have been just kind of generally angry and frustrated, perhaps, at the, the tournament, given the, the schedule that he was given. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think there's there was a question mark in terms of I think it maybe could have gone further.
1: I mean, yes, um, being sleep deprived is not helpful, you know, definitely um, doesn't help with mental health. But that's equivalent to me having a really bad nights of sleep and then just kind of going and whacking someone I walk past, you know, on the street because I'm angry. It's it's just like that is so not acceptable. And I'm not trying to diminish the doubles um, tournament, but This wasn't, you know, after a singles match where he'd had, like, match points and, you know, it was a Grand Slam final and it was, you know, so crucial for his career. This was, you know, he lost his doubles match, uh, funnily enough, against Lloyd Glassport, a Brit, and his Finnish partner, Helio Vara. So, it you know, it wasn't even kind of in a real critical match for his career that he got so worked up. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's really, um, really unacceptable. I mean, I'm not a fan of, of any sort of violent outbursts. Um, Who wants and... to be a tennis
0: umpire, Kim? Who wants to be a tennis umpire?
1: Well, certainly, yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, not not to mention, you know, just the general abuse you get from players, moaning, and then, oh, it's just, yeah, it's not, not an easy not an easy position. You've got to be so focused and you've got to put up with a lot of crap from players and the crowd sometimes as well. So, um, I mean, the the reason obviously Zverev was so tired was because there was a record broken the the night before. Um, You know, latest ever finish in tennis history, 4.55am. No one should be playing tennis at that hour. You know, that is is, uh, just ridiculous. It, It exceeded the a uh, famous Hewitt Bagdatis finish which i think ended at 4:34 in the morning and that was at their 2008 Australian Open so um you know epic scenes uh, but the reason for this is they obviously have a habit of of starting sessions and and matches quite late in mexico you know they generally tend to do things a lot later in in sort of hispanic nations um so we had isna vadasco uh starting at 6 p.m kozlov and then dimitrov uh after that match and then Zverev against brooksby all those matches exceeded three hours uh which is why you end up at almost 5 a.m in the morning <laughs> Kim, <laughs> uh, you know Kim, you
0: know as fans though if you had a ticket to that court you would be i would be absolutely i would be absolutely loving it you know you're part of, part of got your own piece of history got Your money's worth yeah you got your money's worth um and I think what was so amazing was given, regardless of how late uh, that, you know, that that finish was, there were so many fans in attendance. And all I could just think about was, you know, if that was in the UK, it would be like, oh, sorry, there's uh, planning permission or <laughs> the, the council can't let you play past 10pm on a school night Um public transport doesn't work etc and i just love i just love how you get these wild scenes in in tournaments and it is fascinating how you know different tournament tournament organizers will will do different you know make different decisions and yeah it was a it was a wild one wasn't it but uh yeah four fifty five a.m i don't know should should people should players be playing at the time probably not but was it entertaining absolutely I think it's ambitious to schedule three ma-
1: three men's <laughs> matches yeah. starting at 6 p.m. I wonder how many people in that crowd called in sick to work the next day. <laughs> um, but at least at that time, you know, you could probably get the first train home, at least it's, it's not like 2 a.m., which might be just a bit annoying. Um, but yeah, I mean, Acapulco, plenty happened. It was an interesting tournament. I think one of the most Action-packed from this season so far, um, and probably outshone the events in Dubai. I have to say, uh, I think obviously we had generally more of the top players out in Acapulco, but we did have you know Novak Djokovic returning to action in Dubai. Um, that return didn't go quite according to plan. He lost to qualifier Yeri Vesely uh, in the quarterfinals, which we'll get onto in a second because we well, we have to give credit where credit's due to the champion which is Andre Rublev. Um this is his second title on the trot. Uh, he won Marseille the week before and he beat Vesely in the final 6-3 6-4. So kind of going back to his ATP 500 kind of domination of a, you know a few seasons ago, uh building that consistency back again after a bit of a sort of slightly less consistent start to the year. Um yeah. Thirteen matches, I think one in a row for Riblev, if you include the doubles as well. So um, his his good form is continuing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, in his route to the final, I mean, he was a set down uh, in his three preceding matches. So again, showing great mental toughness. I think not. This wasn't a case of him just blasting. Uh, you know players off the court and moving on to the next round. You know, he really had to you know gut it out to 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 win and take each match at a time. Um you know particularly against uh Hubert Hurkacz in the, the semi-final he was you know three six down and one in two very tight uh tight sets uh, in sets two and sets three uh ending on a on a on a on a match winning tie break. So um yeah very impressive from Rublev and I think what was you know really nice as well was he used that as a platform, um, you know, he used this tournament as a platform, I think, to kind of get across his message around the kind of Ukraine-Russia conflict that is going on at the moment. He wrote, no war, please, into the camera. So, you know, you could tell that you know, other things were kind of on his mind. So it was really nice, I think, to see him, I think, speak his opinion. And again, we'll get onto it in the the second half of the show. But to see kind of tennis players kind of speak their, their opinion, voice their beliefs um, and to see Rublev do that um, obviously as a, as a Russian. um, Yeah, it was uh, I think really amazing to see. And it just, I think reminded me that, you know, this is not tournament. Yes. It had some incredible tennis going on, but actually there are, you know, there's, there's bigger things at stake as well.
1: Yeah, which is what he said afterwards, Um, you know, he said that this result does not matter when there's war going on. And I'm, you know, it's good that he obviously um, used his position and his um, that opportunity to kind of voice that message, which, you know, people look up to sports people and um, it's it's important that they use that platform in the right way. And, um, you know, the final itself was. You know, not perhaps uh as exciting as the two semi-finals we saw which we saw, uh which both went to you know a third set tie break. I think Vesely was probably a bit shattered in, in the final mm. in the end. You I mean he
0: qualified for the event, so he yeah. had played a lot of tennis to get to that final.
1: Yeah, and and you know, some kind of fairly long matches as well as as his week went on. Um I mean, let's talk about his victory over Djokovic, because funnily enough, this isn't the first time he's beaten Djokovic. Uh he's actually never lost to Djokovic. So perhaps we shouldn't have been surprised by this result. Um,
0: I'm just surprised by the the two other players that have beaten Novak Djokovic multiple times and never lost to him.
1: Well, we know that one is Nick Kyrgios, right? Uh, who, you know, winds him up a bit, uh, gets under his skin a little bit, I suppose, as he does with many players. Uh, the other player, Marat Safin, I guess I I that is fair enough because that would have been very early in, in Novak's career. I remember Safin beat him at Wimbledon in the second round i think in 2008 or something like that um but perhaps not as surprising as as the two vesely uh, matches but yeah vesely 123 in the world but he's one of those players though that you know he was a junior world number 1 i think about 10 years ago i think he was tipped you know for a bit more greatness i think he won like you know rising star award uh, from the from the atp and i think you know he definitely should be more up there his highest ranking is 35 which was back in 2015 and I think he's sort of been in the wilderness a bit really. Um
0: yeah, it's, when he shouldn't yeah, have been. No, exactly. He's he's got the I think he's just I mean, he's shown this week, he's got the talent to apply himself to the ATV tour. I think he's been um you know, more or less been playing on the on the challenger circuit, but I think with this tournament he's shown that he's he is above that. And you know, he should be getting back to the days where you know I remember watching at Wimbledon where you know he was a very, very, very solid big server um and you know was playing very very well you know he was getting to second weeks of of grand Sams i think he he reached the, the he's reached the fourth round of of wimbledon twice um so yeah it was a bit surprising i feel like to see him yeah just be out in the wilderness i'm not too sure if if injuries have been an issue but um you know he will take great confidence from the fact that he came all the way through qualifying and all the way through the main draw and beat some players who are in in some very very good form. I mean, he beat Bautista Agut six two six four in the second round. He beat Marin Cilic as well in the first round. So you, know, you could tell he was playing really really good tennis. And you know, for Novak Djokovic, yes, this was you know his his start. His you know that was his start to the season. You know, I think for me, it was actually probably a little bit ambitious to think you know he was just going to go and walk it all the way through to the final and win in a you know in a in a five hundred to kind of start off your your season with. But um, you know, coming up against Vesely, there's just there is just something there that, you know, Djokovic uh, you know, does not it does not favour him. Um and I think, you know, particularly for me, one of those things is that Vesely just just did not let him settle during that match. I think he likes to take the high ball on and, you know, move his opponent, um, you know, from side to side on, on the baseline at the, the back of the court. And I think Vesely just executed his tactics very, very well. Um, and Novak Djokovic ultimately, you know, did not have an answer to it. And although he had a good win, you know, against Massetti and then Karen Kachanov um, in the second round, Vesely was just, uh, was just too hot to handle on the day.
1: Yeah. And the issue for Novak is that afterwards he said that, you know, he hasn't had obviously much match practice he, he needs to to play more frequently but because of his anti-vac well I don't want to say anti-vaccination, anti-COVID vaccination stance. You know, he's still refusing to get the vaccine. There are still many countries that have the vaccine as a requirement for entry, which means he's not able to play Indian Wells or Miami, which are coming up um, because at the moment the USA requires everyone to be vaccinated. Um, I think the Monte Carlo Masters as well looks unlikely due to the rules. So when is he realistically going to be able to play? in a consistent fashion to get these matches that he needs it's it's almost it just doesn't really bode that well
0: you can't really rely on on saying oh, i'm out of match practice because you know he's always been some of people yeah it's you know oh it's still you know you know it's still you know amazing for him i think to you know just be able to just come back on the tour and you know see see what he can do um and there are i think there's only so many players who can you know who can who have that that level of talent that they can just pick up and, and play and you know just be a threat in the tournament. You know, Rafa is is one of those, Djokovic is one of those, but you know, there are a lot of players who, you know, need to bide their time and and you know get some sort of momentum before they can, you know, make you know make their mark. And I think, you know, it was quite clear, I think, with that Djokovic versus Vesely match that as I said, Vesely had come through qualifying. He had a lot of matches Um, In these conditions under his belt already. And, you know, Djokovic, you know, maybe match practice just was, it just was not there. And regardless of of Vesely's ranking, he was playing some inspired tennis on the day. Um, And it, yeah, it was just too much for, for Djokovic to overcome.
1: Yeah, I think that that difference probably was quite key, and and who knows, the rules in these nations may change, so we'll have to, I guess, see it week by week. I mean, certainly he'll be able to play the the Belgrade Open, I think in in April uh, on on the clay, or it might be May, but um, we'll we'll wait and see when we next see Djokovic on a on a tennis court. Maybe he could go and play some challenges somewhere. I'm <laughs> sure they'd love to have him. Um, we also had the Chile Open. Um, out in Santiago de Chile, uh, which was won by Pedro Martinez of Spain. uh, Three sets in the final over Sebastian Baez. uh, 4-6, 6-4, 6-4. So Pedro Martinez uh, winning his first ATP Tour title um, in only his second ever final. Um, He had a tough old semi-final against the home favourite Alejandro Tabilo. And uh, Sebastian Byers also coming through against Albert ramos Vinolas in three sets in the semi. So setting up a nice final between the two of them, uh, but Martinez came out on top. Um, I think it does show, though, Sebastian Byers, I think we did say he would be one to watch. Um oh, yeah. He's definitely making inroads on the tour, um, considering I know this sounds quite bad, but I'd never heard of him before he played the next-gen finals last season. So um, I've definitely heard of him now. <laughs>
0: yeah no exactly he's been playing some really really good tennis I still think you know he's definitely dependent on the on the clay courts to to get his rankings up but him yeah he's been playing some very some very very good tennis but yeah Martinez on the day I mean very tough nut to crack and you know the fact that he came back from a, a set down was very a very very good win for him um and yeah well I mean we'll see how it we'll see how it goes um what I loved, Kim, I was watching some of the highlights um, of that final. Sebastian Baez, uh, in a rally, hit a double-handed backhand lob that landed inside the service line, which I had never ever seen before. Um, you normally you normally associate they normally go to the sword. back of the court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This was a this was actually like I genuinely had never seen something like this before. So, if you want to see a shot that I feel like is quite rare on tennis court, um watch the watch the highlights because uh yeah it's just, it was just amazing pedro martin he's not a short player which makes it even more uh unbelievable in my book but um yeah a good win for martinez and just generally kim at the moment spanish players just playing really really well martinez nadal bautista agut won last week Feliciano Feliciano lopez wants a doubles a doubles title it's it's all going really well isn't it for, for spain at the moment
1: on that note, let's take a quick break, but do join us when we come back. Where we'll be looking at how the tennis world has reacted to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, the second half of the ATP tour calendar being released, as well as the upcoming draws from Monterey and Leon. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shots with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a um, bit of fun for the show before we get on to some serious stuff. Par for the courts, Joel. It's back and you've got yes. uh, a new one for yes. me to it is uh, back. attempt.
0: It is back and I'm really excited, really excited by this one, really juicy one. I found it courtesy of Ben Rothenberg's Twitter, um, so... You know it's going to be good quality. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I have enjoyed finding researching this one because it has something to do with world number one rankings, Kim.
1: Oh, so, okay. In light of you... Medvedev becoming yes, the new exactly. world number one, yeah. Okay. Very. So, are you
0: ready? Are you ready for your Path of the court's topic? Okay. So as as we've already kind of just spoken about the world number one ranking in the atp tour i mean it's literally been four people and medvedev since uh, since 2004 but what i want to know is since then there have been 17 wta world number ones and my topic for you is number ones who have been at the top of the women's rankings since 2004 to the present day
1: Okay, I think that's 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 quite doable, I think.
0: Okay, you say that every time and I and I know there's a, a hurdle normally there's a hurdle on the way. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna be quite nice. I'm gonna be quite nice this time. I'm gonna set it at ten. I want you to reach double digits for me, um, to achieve path of the courts in this category. Do you do you think you're up to the up to the task?
1: I think I can do 10. Yeah, although I'm already in my head, I'm ruminating (laughs) about a a couple of names that might be on the borderline of that. So is it 2004 onwards? Okay, right. Okay, let's begin then. Um, Well, uh, Ash Barty. I'm going to go backwards, I think.
0: Correct. Yes, Ash Barty. That is correct. So yeah, that's one.
1: I'm not actually sure who was number one before Ash Barty, but I'll go with Naomi Osaka. (laughs)
0: That is correct. Yes. Two. Uh,
1: Simona Halep.
0: Correct. Three. Karolina Pliskova. Correct. That is four correct answers. Yep. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki. Correct. Yes. That is five.
1: Garbina Muguruza.
0: Correct. That is six. You're you're strolling this, Kim. You're already over halfway there. Uh, Serena
1: Williams. I'll go for the obvious.
0: Uh yes correct that is seven
1: oh um now they're coming quite free-flowingly um anna ivanovich
0: correct yes oh, i was worried <laughs> that and i thought i know eight. she won a slam but maybe <laughs>
1: maybe she wasn't actually Ooh, number one
0: <laughs> yes no that is correct that is eight
1: uh yelena Yankovich.
0: Yes, correct. Uh, Yelenia Mankovic is on there. So that is nine. So all you need is one more to get path for the courts, which I feel hasn't happened for a long time. But yeah, one more.
1: Uh, Dinara Safina.
0: Dinara Safina, are you sure? Is that your final answer?
1: Definitely.
0: <laughs> correct. Yes, yes, that is uh, 100% correct. Yes, that is 10 out of the 17, uh, Dinara Safina, spot on. I'm sure you've got some other names up your sleeve. So, how how far do you think you can go?
1: Maria Sharapova,
0: yes, that would have been correct. Answer,
1: um, Justine Enan
0: or Enan Arden, yes, yes, um,
1: oh, I want to say Kuznetsova, was she number one?
0: Kuznetsova, yeah. Incorrect, oh. Kim Kuznetsova. <laughs> Not okay. A correct answer.
1: Oh. I mean, I was thinking about Amelie Moresmo as well.
0: Yes, um, you could have had oh. Amelie Moresmo. And, um,
1: um, what about uh Venus? Would she have was that no, before? No, O4?
0: Venus Williams. Yeah. No, Venus Williams. So, you could have had the ones you were missing. Uh, you could have had Kim Clysters.
1: Oh, yes, of course.
0: Uh, as you said, Justine Ennan, Amelie Moresmo. Lindsay davenport yeah
1: i was thinking of saying her but i thought she might have been a bit earlier
0: Mm. Mm. and i think you have got yeah there are two others you didn't get so um yeah davenport sharapova ivanovich yankovic serena williams safina wozniacki victoria azarenka of course of course um and also how could you forget angie angie kerber angelique kerber oh
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh. yeah,
0: Pishkova, Muguruza, Halep, Osaka, and Barty. I feel like amongst our listeners, there were gonna be, there's going to be some people who got 100% on that.
1: I'm I'm sure I I've, I've missed out two multiple slam champions there <laughs> deary me no that's a great one I hope everyone enjoyed playing along with that uh, definitely did better than some of the other times <laughs> um that brings us now onto the mailbag uh, we had a question coming in uh today from at @lovewillsurvive on twitter um they have asked should sverv be suspended from tournaments if yes for how long uh, or will his apology do and also got two questions in one here. Between Brooksby and Corder, who has a higher ceiling? So um quite uh, I don't know if Love Will Survive is is an American tennis fan, but um let's let's tackle Brooksby and Corder first. Um now I assume they're talking about not the height of their living room, but their ability <laughs> on a tennis court to to go far. Who are you gonna go with, Joel?
0: Yeah, so yeah, I was, I was thinking about this today and I've, I think I've got to go with Seb Corder. Uh, You know, I saw, I've i seen more of him um, and, you know, I saw you know it was so impressive, uh, you know, Wimbledon, uh, particularly with that win, um, you know, getting to the, the quarterfinals was very, very impressive. I just think he has a more all court game um, and I just think he's very, just I think he has more talent. Than, than Jensen Brooksby. I think Jensen Brooksby's a, a great player, as we've you know already seen in his career. I think he really announced himself with that match against uh, Novak Djokovic at the, the last US Open. But yeah, for me, I think Corda is the more natural, natural player. Um sort of reminds me a little bit of of Thomas Burdic, actually. Um, but I think he for me could be a top 10, maybe even top five player in the future. I just think that is how high he can go. Do I think he's a, a future Grand Slam champion oh not not sold on that just yet but I certainly think he is a a top 10 player in the future and for me yeah Brooksby I don't think I'm not saying he can't get to to being top 10 but at the moment I think there's certainly things in his game that he can work on uh like I think his serve I think he can get a bit more mileage out of his serve a few more cheap points I don't think he utilises that as much as potentially he could. Um, But I'm sure that will come with time. But yeah, I think at the moment for me, yeah, Seb Corder.
1: Yeah, I feel like for me, Corder has a bit more of that champion-esque persona, but that I may be quite biased just because obviously he comes from sporting pedigree and perhaps that's infiltrating my impression. So that's probably quite unfair perhaps. But um, I think Brooksby will be a very solid Player, um, he well, he is quite a solid player, but yeah, definitely early in his career. Obviously, lots to work on. I think cordas ahead, obviously, at the moment. Um, and I would also agree. I think he, based on what we've seen so far of both of them, would have the higher ceiling. Um, so hope that answers your question. Hang on,
0: Kim. Kim mm-hmm. used to be before we recorded that actually it didn't actually matter because you thought Brandon Nakashima oh. has a higher ceiling than both of them.
1: Well, yes, I. That I mean, yes. I think you were Were joking.
0: You were surely joking when you were telling that to me.
1: Brandon Nakashima is the next big thing in American tennis. <laughs> I assure you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I like Brandon Nakashima. I'd like to see him do well. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it, we're uh, going
0: to get these matchups. <laughs> we are going to get these matchups this season. So when they do occur, we're going to be referencing this this, this part conversation. of this podcast. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, going back to um the other part of the question: Should Sverev be suspended from tournaments? I think we kind of have covered this. Um. I know, Joel, I think you said, yes, he should be. Um, I think for me, maybe like a strict warning from the ATP saying clearly, if you do this again or something very similar, then you will have a ban of X amount. Um, But yeah, I think his apology doesn't really seem enough. You know, it's a bit too little too late. So it's it's we'll have to I don't like saying this, wait and see. But I, I, I think the ATP needs to work out sort of a more strict, like direct guidelines yeah. for these. Sorts I think of they situations. just need
0: to show, they just need to show some action because, you know, we, you know, we've just seen in the past and just sort of dilly dally on, yeah. you know, on really, you know, important uh, and serious issues. You know, we spoke about, you know, Zverev, you know, and there's, you know, the dom- domestic violence, um, you know, case that that surrounds him that the ATP still haven't really, you know done anything done anything about who knows where you know who knows where that is at at the moment so it feels like this again is an opportunity to just show everyone that you know we you know we do think about these things and we do make actions from them and we make strong actions from them we're not just in this business to find people actually we're not afraid to give you know giving out bands as well and I think this behavior that has been shown I think does for me warrant a ban so that that's sort of where know, my rationale is with regards to yeah ATP and yeah showing showing and not just kind of pretend to be showing.
1: Yeah they don't tend to have the, the greatest uh reputation at the moment for acting I mean we'll look at their kind of their, ca- their calendar was released for the second half of the ATP season and you know they've still got an event in China uh well, several events in Zhuhai, Beijing and and Shanghai scheduled, you know, that's in complete odds to the WTA, which are still boycotting events in China because of the Peng Shui, you know, controversy. So ATP, not uh, quick to act. Um, Also, you know, with regards to the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the ATP still have a tournament in Moscow scheduled, uh, the Kremlin Cup for October. So, you know, are they gonna wait? Are they waiting to see how the situation unfolds, and then they'll cancel it in the time? Or you know, there are other sporting bodies that have cancelled events already, like um, I think the Champions League final, Formula One. They were both scheduled to take place in Russia. They've they've gone. Why are the ATP so so slow to to do this uh, in, in relation to other sports?
0: Definitely, it's a question that was certainly on my mind when I I looked at the the calendar and again it just goes back to that point around the the immediacy i think that the the atp operate or or the lack of the immediacy that the atp kind of seem to operate with and whether they need to look at yeah just just look at the their you know their process for for decision making and just speed it up because you know at the moment yeah we're just seeing multiple times now i feel where you know the Almost the, the punishment or does not fit the crime um and um you know with the, this calendar as well I think yeah there are going to be questions as we get closer to um you know two events uh that potentially are in in Russia uh like the you know like the Moscow cup um so uh sorry and the the kremlin sorry the kremlin Cup in Moscow so you know we'll see I, I can't imagine the situation is going to get much better. From now until October, but who knows? They must be, you know, looking at this in terms of just wait biding as much time as possible. But at the moment, in this sort of immediate kind of context that we're in, yeah, it doesn't just doesn't feel like they're doing enough at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, I think obviously tournaments that were scheduled to take place in in Ukraine, like ITF events, etc., they they will be replaced uh, obviously elsewhere. I know the ITF have come out to say that their highest priority is obviously to protect the safety of, of tennis players and those who have been travelling or were in those countries um at the time. Obviously a lot of players on the tour are from from both Ukraine and Russia. So are kind of more directly affected especially Ukrainian players I mean uh, Diana Yastremska, she um, has managed to get out of Ukraine but was in Odessa when uh, the invasion began um, so she you know was on Instagram kind of updating uh, her followers and everyone about the situation um, she's managed to I think go to go to France she, she's playing uh, in Lyon this this week but um you know, other Ukrainians. Sergei Stokovsky has revealed that he's going back to, to join the army and, and fight. Um I think he, he had retired, hasn't hasn't he? Uh from from the tour, but was obviously living outside of Ukraine perhaps. Um so it's a really difficult time, you know, for so many people and and including, you know, players on, on tour who be personally directly affected. Um, you know, we've got a lot of like, you know, Alina is obviously a big, big player that, that springs to mind, um, who will obviously be impacted. And obviously, a lot of players have spoken up, especially, you know, Russian players to, to you know, um, condone what has been happening. Uh, I think Medvedev and Rublev have both spoken out. Um, but it does bring up the question of Russian players, Russian team uh, in, you know, tennis events, like what, what should happen to two Russian players and uh, team events that have Russia, you know, uh, like the Fed Cup or Billie Jean King Cup, um, Davis Cup at the end of the year, like should, should Russia be allowed to take part?
0: Yeah. Cause you know, we've seen at the moment because of the, you know, the doping situation in the Olympics, I think, you know, we've seen Russia compete, um, you know, in previous team competitions under the ROC name, um, which felt a bit, you know for many people i think it's just felt a bit weird it just again it just feels like russia but under a a slightly different name but you know does this you know does this situation um you know force the itf's hand in terms of going one step further and actually saying well you know given you know what is going on given you know we've seen russia invade ukraine um do we ban you know do they ban russia from competing in you know the the davis cup or or the Billie jean king cup um events um and you know that is uh i think that you know that is sort of where we're at in terms of how this i think is impact- impacting i think tennis um in the way of um you know international representation i mean where, i mean where do you stand on this game because for me this is you know this is obviously going to be a you know a big talking point i don't feel like at the moment that roc No, it just doesn't. It feels a bit of a cop out, and again, there needs to be some sort of address addressing. And I think it needs to be the same on you know on on both sides. And I think what's interesting is that I think in the past we've seen the WTA they've taken more proactive and firmer stances on situations. um, You know, like like Penchway in terms of you know calling out the fact that they're not going to have any events in in China um you know if the 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 difference in decision making is that going to lead to a difference in you know what happens to Russia Davis Cup versus Russia Billie Jean King Cup I I don't know but um it's certainly at the moment it's I think it's a a question that needs to be you know looked at and you know particularly I think yesterday I saw Ukraine Tennis Federation I think submit an open letter I think to I think it was the the ITF in terms of Calling on the expulsion of Russia, and I think also that the Belarusian um, tennis federation, given their in- involvement as well, so it re- you know it remains to be seen. But you know, I, I I think you know, given given what's happening in in other sports, I don't think it would be a surprise if, yeah, we saw Russia be expelled at least for the time being from Davis Cup and and Billie Jean King Cup and you know ATP Cup and <laughs> any other international uh, tennis team events that you know know, that exist on the calendar
1: yeah I don't think it would be surprising and I think that would be the most appropriate way of Mm. of doing something about it obviously for individual players you can't stop them competing that that's not fair you know Andre Rublev has got nothing to do with what the Russian government have done on the invasion you know so you can't punish individuals such as that but um, and obviously, you would still be punishing them by saying, "Oh, you can't compete in the Davis Cup." And yeah, that is quite unfair. On, for example, Andre Rublev, if his greatest desire is to win the Davis Cup, but how do they compete in that? Even even as yeah ROC, it, it's essentially they are. We all know that it's still Russia. So it's um, if other sports are going to do similar things, it, it would be a bad look for tennis not to follow. You know, follow like follow the sort of same suit. Um, so we will await a decision. I'm sure, as events unfold, there will be one. Um, and it's obviously, I don't envy the decision makers, but I think that they will have to come out with with some sort of decision. And I think um, I hope that you know those affected would would understand. But it just, yeah, I agree. Roc rock, however you say it, it's. It's like, it is it is a cop-out, I think, isn't it? I, I felt that at the last Olympics. And, you know, maybe those players, athletes should have been allowed to compete, but just without any mention to Russia in the title of the, the team or, you know. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. It's awful, awful events, awful news. And it's just difficult, whichever way you look at it.
0: Yeah, and I think what's been so i think great to see in in tennis is the the support that i think has been shown to you know to ukraine um and you know the you know the just the i think also the frustration that some of the the russians i think have in terms of uh, you know how this kind of as i said this sort of situation is um developing and yeah i think yeah you know, everyone here obviously the the passing shot from you know from me and kim you know we've obviously want to kind of support and, you know, you know, make sure all these all these people are safe and you know their lives are not in danger. And, you know, I think for me in the tennis world, you know, it was you know unbelievable to see, you know, someone like Diana Yastrzemska, you know, having to to flee into France. Um, it just kind of I think really kind of those kind of stories I think just show that how you know how far this has reached so quickly and you know, to see kind of the messages um, and the responses that that players have had whether they've been writing it in tv cameras whether they've been saying it in uh, press conferences i think it's shown that the tennis community really kind of coming together and as i said sort of showing their support for ukraine which i think has been really really heartwarming
1: definitely um it puts it all into perspective doesn't it as well when you mm. you know like rublev mentioned um i know i keep mentioning his name but you know it, in terms of like a tennis match is just a tennis match but the main thing is you know the welfare and safety of everyone. So, um, I mean, we do have tennis coming up this week. Still, we've got two WTA events, um, which we'll just quickly cover before we um, bring today to a close. I mean, I mean, Svitolina is out in in uh, Mexico yeah, in the Monterrey event. Um, she's the top seed there. I've, people have commented that she's got a Russian player pot up over in the first round, so providing a, a sort of a very emotional backdrop to to that match and then uh, Layla Fernandez is the the second seed uh, but Sloane Stevens also in action so hopefully she can continue her her form from this week and and get some wins here as well under her belt.
0: Yeah I think Sloane Stevens uh, you know she's in a good good groove at the moment so um, you know she could potentially face uh, Fernandez in the quarterfinals so that could be quite an interesting part of the draw Kim Sara Saribes Tormo is there so maybe she will get back to her three three set aways ways uh in Monterey but yeah I think I think just generally going forward we're going to be looking at Russian players Ukrainian players and seeing kind of yeah how they how they handle this on on a court and for, for Svitolina who again has not really had a great start to the season uh I'm amazed that she's still the number one seed if I'm being if I'm being quite frank but um it adds a new dimension and you know who knows who knows what you know what way what way it might go in terms of that that emotion but it will be certainly fascinating to see how that that plays out but i hope yeah i hope we don't get any sort of um protests or any sort of thing that happens during this you know heightened kind of moment um you know it certainly feels like it's obviously very fresh in in people's minds and any sort of Ukraine versus Russia matchup um in sport I think is gonna have just sort of extra, extra eyeballs on it. And um yeah, Svitalina Potapova, even though, you know, what, two months ago that might have been a match that would have been on a you know an outs, maybe on an outside court or it wouldn't been televised or whatever, it would just gone on like a just a regular match. Um now it just yeah, it just has a lot of it feels like it just has a lot of significant meaning, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think in Leon as well, everyone will be sort of looking towards Yastrzemski, who's managed to get a wild card. Um, so I don't know how emotionally she will be, you know, on on a tennis court. Um, I, I wish her all, all the all the best, you know, and, and wish her well. But it must be hard to focus on tennis when you know you, your family are are back in in Ukraine and all of this is going on. So um, uh, yeah, it, there's certainly. Um, it, you know, it will, I'm sure, impact on various players' performances. Um, Camilla George is the top seed at uh, this event. Kostea is the second seed. Um, so, yeah, I yeah, I noticed Elise Cornet has lost already today. So her her good start of the year has taken a bit of a, a dip already. Uh, she's sort of going back to old ways. Maybe she will retire now.
0: I mean, that that bottom half of that draw is very very open all the qualifiers all six qualifiers uh, are in that bottom of i believe actually katie volta also qualified so good on her for getting into the main draw um defending champion clara torsen is not there so i wouldn't be surprised kim if we have a first time w another first time wta champion here it feels very very open and georgie and castella as your top two seeds we both know both those players could be very erratic at the best of times so for them to both get to the final feels far from a far from a certainty
1: i'm gonna pluck anna conju out of the list and say she's gonna win Sixth seed Croatian. Um, but I'm quite intrigued to see what Caroline Garcia might be able to do. She knows she beat Halep last week. Yeah, 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 Could yeah, she she did. beat Georgie who's got her in the first round. So, um, and I think this is pretty much her home tournament, um, Leon. So um I shall wish her well. And on that that note, Joel, I think it is <laughs> time for us to bring today's blockbuster episode uh, to a close.
0: Yes, listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to this latest catch up from The Passing Shot remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date in the tennis world we are on Apple Podcasts Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify
1: and you can follow us on social media we are on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod so do give us a like and a follow if you don't already and you can contact us on all those platforms, uh, send in your messages for the mailbag and any feedback and comments that you may have. Or alternatively, you can email us passing shot at gmail.com. And if you have time, don't forget to check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk.
0: And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ to discuss all the latest action on the ATP and WTA tours. I think our next episode will be all about looking forward to Indian wells the big sunshine double coming up so i hope you can join us for our next episode but in the meantime it's goodbye from kim goodbye and it's goodbye from me we will see you again soon